Today on the Matt Wall Show, race hustlers Colin Kaepernick and Ibram X. Kendi both thoroughly embarrassed themselves over the weekend, exposing the emptiness and absurdity of their worldviews. It was a bad weekend for race hustlers in general, and we will revel in their self-immolation today. Also, Democrats in Virginia have all the momentum going against them heading into the election on Tuesday, so they decided to resort to some good old-fashioned fraud as kind of their closing argument there in Virginia. And a Southwest Airlines pilot allegedly says, let's go Brandon over the intercom on the plane. And this is apparently a national crisis. Plus, rumors are swirling about Joe Biden's meeting with the Pope. I feel duty-bound to discuss those rumors today. And we'll do that and so much more on The Matt Wall Show. You know, the word grifter is way overplayed these days, especially online, where the average internet user only has a vocabulary of 17 words to begin with. Any term that makes it into that limited arsenal will inevitably be utilized with great and undue frequency. The problem is that terms which were once descriptively useful end up shorn of all meaning. This has happened with words like trauma and outrage, for example, and of course racism and sexism, not to mention the big one, woman. But I don't want to see the word grifter neutralized and negated in that way, as it's a very expressive, illustrative term. And that's why I will not say that race hustlers like Ibram X. Kendi and Colin Kaepernick are grifters. Now, on first blush, the description would seem to fit them as snug and comfortably as a well-made sweater. I mean, a grifter, after all, is a con artist, a swindler, a carnival barker, a fleecer, a fraudster. Uh, Both of these men live up to all of those adjectives. But the other definitional aspect of a grifter is that he's Petty, he's small time, he's small scale, operating on the level of a you know pickpocket or a card shark. Race hustlers in our country today, however, especially the most famous and visible ones like Kendi and Kaepernick and Sharpton and uh, that lawyer who shows up on the scene nine seconds after any black man is shot by the cops, they're all running a very large scale con. They may be petty people who got into this game for their own superficial reasons, personal fame and wealth being the primary motivators as always, but The effect they have on our society is anything but small or petty. They're closer to, you know, Bernie Madoff level than pickpockets. Their schemes are sweeping, far-reaching, and they've managed to inflict widespread devastation. So it's worth pausing to appreciate whenever one of these degenerate sleazeballs accidentally reveals themselves for who they are. And over the last few days, it just so happens that two of them, both Kendi and Kaepernick, have done just that. So starting with Kendi, on Friday, he shared an article from The Hill published a few days prior, which reports on a survey finding that more than a third of white college applicants lie on their applications in order to increase their chances of being admitted. Amazingly, Kendi shared this article along with a caption accurately describing the survey's findings. He wrote, quote, more than a third of white students lie about their race on college applications, and about half of those applicants lied about being Native American. More than three-fourths of these students who lied about their race were accepted. What makes this amazing, of course, is that this fact completely undermines Kendi's case. Indeed, it it wouldn't be too far to say that this fact alone single-handedly dismantles Kendi's worldview in its entirety. His vision of the world, or at least his vision of Western culture, is that it's structured around and defined by systemic racism against, quote-unquote, people of color. But how could there be systemic racism against non-white people if a white person's way of gaming that system is to pretend to be non-white, you're not going to find any analog to this in the you know, history of the human race. There's no analog. There's no, no, nothing comparable. Nowhere else on earth at any other point in history can you find an example of a minority group being systemically oppressed and people on the dominant majority group responding to that oppression by pretending to be in the minority group so they can personally benefit doesn't make any sense. There weren't a lot of, you know, non-Jews in Germany pretending to be Jewish. It would go the other way around. You would pretend to not be Jewish. I I don't think you could have uh, gone to Rwanda in the mid-90s and found very many people pretending to be in an ethnic minority group there. In fact, there weren't any whites pretending to be black here in America during segregation. But there are now. Because the systemic discrimination cuts in precisely the opposite direction. So why did Kendi share this then? What point did he think it would make? Well, to understand that, you have to remember that the race hustlers, along with being driven by greed and arrogance, are also dyed-in-the-wool anti-white bigots. They hate white people. And so for Kendi, all he saw in the headline was that white people did something bad, 
You know, they lied on an application. And that's as far as, as his thought process went. His brain said, look, white people did bad thing. And he shared it. Only later did he connect the dots, or rather other people connected the dots and alerted him to the problem. So he responded by deleting the original post. And then a short time later, in defending himself against charges of being a stupid, self-contradicting hypocrite, Kendi tweeted this. They, talking about his critics, lie about what I said to defend the lying of white college applicants. Here is their tortured line of thinking. When white applicants think they have an advantage by lying about being a person of color, then that means they do have an advantage, which then means structural racism doesn't exist. They imagine white people are disadvantaged, while white people are on the higher end of nearly every racial disparity. They imagine black and native people have racial advantages. At the same time, black and native people are on the lowest end of nearly every racial disparity. SMH. But by the way, Kenny, we're, no, we're not saying that uh, systemic discrimination doesn't exist. No, we're saying it does exist, but that it exists against white people. We're saying that it, you benefit from it as a black man. The problem for Kendi is that white applicants, yeah, they think they have an advantage. And in fact, actually they do. As he said in his original post, more than three-fourths of the whites who lie about their race are accepted. Whites perceive that it would be to their advantage if they weren't white, and their perceptions are vindicated by the results. There are plenty of additional lines of evidence pr proving that uh, there is no systemic racism against non-whites in this country. But this one line of evidence is perhaps the most powerful. It's conclusive, all on its own. If the system is biased against a certain group, you could not possibly game that system by pretending to be in that very group. Period. And so Kendi's whole life's work is reduced to rubble by his own words, which is fantastic. And then there's Kaepernick. In Kaepernick's case, uh, you know, if you can put aside the moral and ethical problems for a moment, you might almost have to admire his hustle. It, it's, 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 in a way, sort of brilliant. That he was, he was flunking out of the NFL. I mean, just think about this. Think about, think about what happened with Kaepernick. Flunking out of the NFL, suffering through a 10-loss season uh, with the 49ers back in 2016. He had just been benched for Blaine Gabbert, which is the NFL equivalent of losing a beauty pageant to, you know, Rachel Levine. And he found himself start staring at a career as a bench rider, hopping from one team to another on one-year contracts, uh, getting paid the veteran minimum, which is still like almost a million dollars. Uh, but even so, in NFL terms, pretty, pretty low salary. And he decided in that moment to pivot and become a social justice crusader instead. And the career change has made him a household name, whereas before he would have been about as famous and widely discussed as Joe Flacco is today. Um, now he's uh, this famous household name. It's also made him far richer than he would have been otherwise, with all kinds of promotional deals and shoe deals and books and everything. He also has his own Netflix show. Now, uh, it's called Colin in Black and White, and um, it's being largely hailed by critics because critics are contractually obligated to hail anything Kaepernick does. But the show has been mocked and, and derided by everybody else, thanks largely to one scene, which went viral over the weekend, where Kaepernick, biting off more than he could chew, actually compares the NFL draft to a slave auction. Watch this. What they don't want you to understand... Is what's being established is a power dynamic. Before they put you on the field, teams poke, pride, and examine you, searching for any defect that might affect your performance. No boundary respected. No dignity left intact. It actually sounds more like he's describing, you know, TSA screening. Poke, prod, and examine you. No dignity left intact. But uh, no, he's describing the NFL. NFL players are slaves, he says. The process of becoming an NFL player is dehumanizing and degrading. Which is very different from what he said literally two weeks ago when he did an interview with Ebony Magazine and claimed that he's still training every day in hopes of becoming an NFL player again. This is what he said two weeks ago. 
He said, I'm still up at 5 a.m. training five days a week, making sure I'm prepared to take a team to a Super Bowl again. That's not something I will ever let go of. Regardless of the actions of 32 teams and their partners to deny me employment, the same way I was persistent in high school is the same way I'm going to be persistent here. Of course, Kaepernick can train all he wants, and it's not going to change the fact that he's a 32-year-old former backup who was washed up in 2016 the last time he played. Also, the problem with his training is that it mostly consists of him jogging through his neighborhood, screaming the word racist at all the trees, squirrels, and birds he sees. All that aside, though, if being an NFL player is like being a slave, why is he still trying to get into the NFL? Why has he spent six years crying that he can't be a slave? Well, because he's full of it, of course. Slavery and professional football are, it turns out, a little bit different. Football players are paid millions of dollars. They get to live in their own homes, very big and expensive homes too. Uh, They choose to be football players. That's a big one. They're admired and envied by millions of adoring fans. If Kaepernick thinks that any of this bears any resemblance to the lot of a slave, then his talents as a historian are, are even less impressive than his talents as a quarterback. But he doesn't actually think that, though. I mean, he's a con artist. Just saying whatever he needs to say in the moment. Just like Kendi. Just like the rest of them. And it would almost be funny to see them flailing about like this. Funny in a pitiful sort of way. If it weren't for the very real, very widespread damage that they're doing to our culture. Now let's get to our five headlines. As an increasing number of companies fall over themselves trying to appeal to the left, wouldn't it be nice to find one that actually supports your values? Well, I'll tell you about one. You've heard about them many times on the show. Big supporter of this show. Uh, Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company. They partner with you to automatically support the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice with 5% of your monthly plan price going to the pro-family, pro-charity of your choice. New activations and eligible accounts also get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. And um, you get, uh, you can even get a new phone as well. You can keep your existing phone number, uh, even keep your existing phone if you want when you switch over. What, what all it means is that it's not only are you supporting a company with great values, but you're also getting a great value. Um, you're getting um, a lot of great perks as well. Monthly plan prices have just been lowered again, and now you can add even more lines to family plans. There are no contracts, there are no termination fees, and no risk with a 30-day guarantee. Plus, there's great live customer service and great nationwide coverage on America's most reliable network. If you want to get all that, then switch to Charity Mobile and support the causes that you care about. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. Okay, so uh, we celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary, by the way, on Friday, which is why uh, there wasn't a show. And last year, if you remember, I talked about this for our wedding anniversary. I gave my wife the gift of not being around because uh, I had accidentally scheduled a... um, speaking gig on the same day as our anniversary. Made sure not to do that this time. And so we um, went, uh, we took a trip for a few days. We went on a short trip to Asheville, North Carolina. It was very romantic, I think. And on the way up about, you know, five hour drive or so, I had a chance to uh, monologue extensively to my wife because I missed the show. I didn't do my monologue. So I was monologuing to her. I think at one point I was talking about um, uh, the nature of consciousness and uh, where it originates in the human mind and and the the sort of the, the physical um, the mind body problem and all that. And at one point she, uh, she, she suggested that I monologue in my head so that she could enjoy the view. And that's how, you know, you've been married for 10 years when your spouse can say to you, can you please shut up? And it doesn't offend you at all. You just say, yeah, yeah that's pretty fair. So we ended up driving the Blue Ridge uh, Parkway through the mountains in North Carolina. And it was again, beautiful. Though at one point we, we stopped in an overlook and the view was, uh, was, was great. You know, elevation of, of 3,500 feet or so. All the leaves were changing, breathtaking stuff. And I looked around at this overlook, and there were a lot of people there. And everybody at the overlook, they were all on their phones, right, using this view as, a, as just a, a forum, as a backdrop for their social media posts. And in fact, this is the first time I had ever seen this in the wild. First time I'd seen this. And I, I was a little bit excited by this. It, it was, uh, there was somebody doing a, what I assume was a TikTok selfie dance video right there at the overlook. And so I made sure, of course, to stand right in the shot. My wife was saying, get out of the shot. And I just stood there in the background as retribution. uh, But also because it was my only chance to ever star in a TikTok dancing video. Um, But but, but mainly as revenge. I mean, we're looking at God's creation. And every every single person, there's probably a dozen people 
all just looking at their phones or enjoying the view through their phone because they want to get the perfect picture of it so they can put it online. And then at the next overlook, um, another great view, but I took a picture of this myself, Um, not to be hypocrite, but on the railing, someone had spray painted stolen land right there on the railing. And of course I posed, I posed next to it. I told my wife, we got, we got to get a shot of this. I never asked to take pictures, but this one shot, let's take this. So someone had spray painted stolen land right there on the railing overlooking, you know, and you see, again, you see the leaves are changing and everything. It's really beautiful. And I mean, all I could say is, I, man, I'm glad we quote unquote stole this land. Now in fairness, conquer is a little harder to spell than stole. So maybe that's why they went with that because the appropriate word, the right word to use here is uh, we conquered this land. And when I look at it, I guess they put that there so that when we're looking at the view, we're supposed to feel, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad about this. Now, my reaction is this is fantastic. I'm glad this was, this was great land to conquer. The conquerors made a good choice. Thank you very much. And uh, other than that, it was great. And then, and then of course, we go, we go all the way up and, and um, we go to the top of the mountain. And we're, we're hiking. It's like, it's like a, kind of a rainy, cold day. There's not a lot of people. We're hiking through the, uh, the, the, the trail uh, at the top of the, the mountains. And then uh, I, I saw something that I have seen in the wild before. And that was, um, again, we're you know, high elevation. It's like almost nobody else around outside in the woods. And of course, we see someone walk by uh, on the trail in the woods with a mask on. So pure, pure mental illness. Uh, okay, we'll start with this. Speaking of uh, perhaps mental illness, this is from Fox. It says, the disgraced anti-Trump group, The Lincoln Project, is facing intense backlash for orchestrating the viral hoax involving tiki torch holding individuals associating themselves with the Yunkin campaign. Twitter, you can see them there, uh, standing there. Twitter was set ablaze after images of a group wearing white shirts, khakis, baseball caps, and sunglasses stood alongside the campaign bus. Uh, Virginia, Virginia gubernatorial candidate Glenn Youngkin reportedly vocally expressing support for the Republican. The imagery of the Tiki Torches was uh, apparently meant to invoke the white nationalists who participated in the deadly events of Charlottesville in 2017. And um, the stunt was seized upon by the left, including staffers from Democrat candidate Terry McAuliffe's campaign. And many of them were, were spreading. This was all happening, I guess, on Friday when, when, I, when I was up in the woods. Um, and the Democrats were, were jumping on this as Republicans are always accused of seizing and jumping, um, piling on. But in this case, Democrats really did it. Say, oh, look at this. Clearly, you, you see Glenn, Glenn Youngkin's a, a racist. All these people with tiki torches showing up to his campaign event. And... Any, any, anybody with a brain, any smart, rational person who saw this before it was exposed as the fraud it, clear, it, it was, clearly would have known. You, you should be able to look at that. I mean, there are some dead giveaways just in that picture alone that these are not white supremacists. I mean, there's, there's, there's in particular one, one specific dead giveaway that these are not white supremacists. Uh, so you should have known that. And, uh, of course, everyone did know that. The media knew that, but they still spread this around until finally it was revealed that um, this was a stunt. Well, I'm going I'm to use the word revealed in quotes here. It was revealed that this was supposedly a stunt by the Lincoln Project. But this is only their... This is the, the Lincoln Project took credit for it. They said they did this. And uh, they called it a stunt. Like, they're just trying to send a message. They're trying to make a point about Glenn Youngkin, about how he's a racist somehow. Um, but we don't actually know that. We don't, we don't actually know that the Lincoln Project is, are, are the ones who did this. They say they were. Or that this was meant to be a stunt. Now, if I were to theorize, it seems much more likely that this was a fraud. It was a hoax. Okay, a fraud and a hoax are not the same thing as a stunt. Because when you do a stunt, everybody knows it's a stunt. So if they'd showed up there with the tiki torches and were, were saying, oh, Glenn Youngkin's a racist, this is what he supports, that would be a stunt. But when you try to pass it off as real, now it's, and especially in the context of an election, a few days before an election, this is now a fraud. This is a hoax. It's the kind of thing that we're told the Democrats would never do. 
I mean, to accuse Democrats of any kind of election-related fraud? You can't say that. You get kicked off of YouTube or Twitter for saying that. This is very clearly a fraud, and uh, I frankly don't believe that the Lincoln Project, they may have been involved, but the idea that they did this on their own with no coordination with the McAuliffe campaign, I don't, I don't personally believe that. It seems clear to me, reasonable assumption here, based on context clues and circumstantial evidence, including the fact that some of these people apparently are involved in the Democrat Party in Virginia, Seems to be very good evidence that uh, the Democrats and McAuliffe, the McAuliffe campaign, or some people at least associated with McAuliffe campaign, were involved in this. That would be my assumption. Um, A never-Trump advisor with the Lincoln Project was on uh, CNN with Chris Cuomo a couple days later, and here he is explaining and justifying this quote-unquote stunt. Some people showed up at a Yunkin event posing as Charlottesville protesters, uh, a group you're with, the Lincoln Project, owned that it was them, that they posed this way because they wanted people to remember. Uh, You're getting crushed by people on the right uh, as a dirty tactic. Do you stand behind what was done, and is that being what you guys say you oppose? Um, No. Listen, every day uh, I hear people pleading with the Lincoln Project to help show Democrats how to win, how to play hardball. you know, this is an example. The, the question here is, it's not about some guys who showed up at a rally. It's why hasn't Glenn Youngkin denounced Donald Trump for saying that there were good people on both sides? I mean, that is absolutely outrageous. And it's because Glenn Youngkin wants it both ways. And I think that's the message that needs to be driven here. You know, the, the Lincoln Project was the first in this race to put Charlottesville in an ad. And some people thought maybe it went too far, but we did it. And it worked. And then the McAuliffe campaign followed us and put Charlottesville in a very good ad they did. So I think the question here is we can't ignore what happened in Charlottesville. The question is, why hasn't Glenn Youngkin denounced Donald Trump? Yes. Why hasn't he denounced? Denounced, denounced. You have to just keep that. That's what you're If you're a Republican, that's that's what's expected of you by the left. Your entire if you're running for office, your entire campaign should consist of denouncing um, all of the bad things that have allegedly happened on your side, uh, even if those things are, you know, aren't are, are true. It doesn't matter what it is. We know the fine people comment has been taken wildly out of context um, by the left. But all, all you're supposed to do as a Republican is just keep on denouncing. Um, you're supposed to have a campaign completely on the defensive. Um, it, 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 and really, your as far as the left goes, your pitch is supposed to be. That um, as a Republican, you know, I'm not as bad as the other Republicans. That should be your only pitch. These other Republicans are horrible. I'm not as horrible as them. That's and that's what the Lincoln Project wants. And they they claim that I, I, I hope that what he just said there was true. That Democrats are coming to them asking the Lincoln Project to show them how to win. I, I hope that they are. What the hell does the Lincoln Project know about? What exactly have they won? What have they achieved? They've enriched themselves, that's for sure. This is, and this is, not, uh, this is not exactly playing hardball. This is, again, fraud. And we can, I, I have to always say it, as futile as, as it may be to say, to point out, we can only imagine some, if something like that had happened, Similar to that, analogous to it on the other side, it would be the lead story across the media spectrum be the only thing they're talking about. And this would be, this would be framed as a, a purposeful act of fraud meant to uh, influence an election, which is exactly what it is. What about denouncing that? Has, has Terry McAuliffe denounced this quote-unquote stunt? Well, that's part of the game. Democrats don't have to denounce anything, and Republicans are supposed to do nothing but denounce. And, and, and by the way, even after you've denounced something, that's not enough. You have to keep on denouncing it. Which is why uh, things that Donald, Donald Trump, who is not president anymore, things he said four years ago, you have to continually denounce even now. 
as you run for governor of, uh, of Virginia, as if any of that is relevant. Okay, next we have uh, from the Daily Wire, it says, after a Southwest Airlines pilot reportedly ended an address to passengers with the words, let's go, Brandon, on Friday, a CNN analyst, CNN analyst likened the man's remark to the equivalence of something an ISIS terrorist might say. Colleen Long of the Associated Press said that the incident took place Friday morning on a flight from Houston to Albuquerque. Videos subsequently, uh, subsequently surfaced of an unidentified pilot uttering the anti-Biden phrase after welcoming the passengers to the flight. Thanks for coming out and flying Southwest Airlines. Welcome aboard, he said. And remember, uh, let's go, Brandon. CNN analyst Asia uh, Rangapa promptly referenced the murderous ISIS terrorist group while addressing the pilot's reported comment on social media. She says, quote, as an experiment, I'd love for a Southwest Air, Airlines pilot to say long live ISIS before taking off. My guess is that the uh, that one, the plane would be immediately grounded, two, the pilot fired, and three, a statement issued by the airline within a matter of hours. And this wasn't even the most supercharged, overheated comparison made. Uh, there was someone else, some other media analyst who compared it. It said that "Let's Go Brandon" is the Sieg Heil now of the, of the uh, of the right wing. You know, which many, many crucial differences there. But here's one. Let's go, Brandon, is a criticism of the president. It's it's not a, it's not a, this is not a a statement of loyalty to a tyrant in office. This is a criticism of authority. And we also have to keep in mind that this is all, the, the claim that a Southwest pilot said, let's go, Brandon, is right now just a claim. There is a video that surfaced and it's kind of weird and it's not clear where this video came from. It's, it's a video from the cockpit. Who was taking that video? Why was it released? I mean, we don't know exactly. You always have to leave open the possibility, given the source, that none of this even happened. But also, if it did happen, who cares? Every Every, nearly every major corporation in America is firmly on the left, constantly and consistently pledging their undying fealty, loyalty to, to the left, coming out in support of radical left-wing causes and organizations like Black Lives Matter. That's every single corporation, nearly every corporation. So that everywhere you go, including in airports and on airplanes and everywhere else you go in society. This is the message you hear being rammed into your eardrums everywhere. It's promotion of left-wing causes, left-wing propaganda from all of the wealthiest and most powerful voices and institutions in America. And then you have one pilot on one plane for one airline who says, let's go Brandon, allegedly, and this is a this is a major crisis. And and suddenly now there's no place for this. Suddenly there's no place for employees and people, you know, and, and for companies who are not associated with politics. There's no no place for any kind of political statements. Now there's no place for it. It is an interesting question why. Uh, maybe it's not so interesting. Maybe maybe the answer is pretty obvious, but. The left, they really hate this let's go Brandon thing. I think they tried to ignore it for a while, and uh, they, but they, they can't help themselves. They can't ignore anything for very long. And now, now they're engaging with it and, uh, of course, going way over the top. And this is, this is like the Nazis. This is like being an ISIS. Why do they hate it so much? I think they hate it because, number one, it's, it is, it's clever. It's funny and clever, and they hate that about it. And it, it's something that developed organically. You know, again, with the left owning all of the major institutions, they can try to create memes. You know, they can kind of force these things into the public public consciousness. This is something that happened organically. This is this is very much a grassroots meme. And this was the it, it, this is the you know, the public flipping something around on the media. 
We all we all remember where this all this all began when people are chanting "F Joe Biden" and then someone some news anchor says, "Oh, it sounds like they're saying let's go Brandon," and then it becomes very much an organic thing that develops and it's funny and it's clever, but also it goes back to what I said a few days ago, and I think this is a really important point that um, the "Let's Go Brandon" stuff it's more vulgar cousin F Joe Biden. It makes Joe Biden. It makes a mockery of him. You know, it makes him seem like a just a clown, like a sort of ridiculous, pitiful figure, which he is. He's also dangerous, and he represents something dangerous because of the power that he has and the ways that he's using it, and the way that he's allowing other people around him to use to use that power. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that he is. He's a clown. He's a pitiful person. He's a, a joke. And that's, it's really hard to come back from that politically. Being criticized as a tyrant, being criticized as, you know, abusing your power, dishonest, all those kinds of things. Those are pretty standard accusations in the political realm. And if you're a politician and you're, and that's in those labels and accusations are being tossed at you by the other side, you can deal with that. That's, that's par for the course. But when they're able to successfully make you into a clown, into a mockery, um, that is hard to recover from. And I think that I think the left realizes that, and that's why they're they're panicking over this. And it's why we should continue, continue to uh, wave our "Let's Go Brandon" flags high and proudly. Uh, what else do we got here? Uh, let's. See. See, this is also about the Virginia race. It says, from the AP, for four years, nothing rallied Democrats like the push to get Donald Trump out of office. Now they're not sure what to do without him. Democrats in Virginia are scrambling to stave off disaster in the state's governor's race, the most competitive major election since Trump left the White House. The surprisingly tight contest has exposed the depth of the party's dependence on Trump as a message and motivator. Without him top of mind for many and with uh, headwinds from Washington Democratic officials privately fear they may lose their first statewide election in Virginia in more than a decade on Tuesday. Public polling has been shifting in Republican newcomer Glenn Youngkin's direction in recent weeks, while Democrat Terry McAuliffe, former governor, close ally of President Joe Biden, has struggled to energize his base as Biden's approval ratings sink. Um, and so they're, they're panicking. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to start spiking the f- football too early, um, especially when we've seen what, what Democrats are willing to do. We've seen the fraud that they already perpetrated, um, a confirmed fraud. So that's one of many reasons not to spike the football too early. But uh, there are, are some very positive indications here. Even, even if, if Glenn Youngkin loses in the end, which he could, obviously. It's a tight race. He could lose. But even if he does, you know, this is much closer than it was supposed to be. He's still got all the momentum on his side. And uh, he generated that momentum a little bit late in the game. How did he generate it? We already talked about it. He generated generated it by breaking away from the kind of standard Republican mold and instead embracing cultural issues. And the moment that he did that, and this education thing is very much a cultural issue, uh, especially because the one of the, the the primary concerns parents have is about the indoctrination of kids, about the the values and worldviews that are being imposed on their children, critical race theory, gender ideology, and so on. You know, a, a hatred for America and its and its uh, and its history and its culture. These are all cultural issues. So the 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 moment Glenn Young can embrace that. And this, this happened kind of late in the game, but that's when all the momentum shifted. So if in the end he loses, one of the things that will tell us is, well, if he had done that from the start of the race, had enough time to build the momentum to where it needed to be, he probably would have won. So either way, that's, that's one of the lessons we take. Win or lose, that's one of the lessons we have to take from this. Also, he didn't allow the race to be about Trump. You know, uh, a lot of Republicans have taken the wrong lessons from Trump's victory in 2016 
And uh, they think that in order to win and to appeal to their base, they, you know, they also have to make it all about Trump and talk about Trump all the time and constantly express their undying loyalty to Trump the man. And Democrats love that because all they want, as, as even the AP report admits, all they want to do is talk about Trump. That's the only thing they know how to do. You know, Donald Trump came along five, six years ago and very quickly redefined everything for the left in that he has become their, their central focus. And the only thing they know how to do is run against him and criticize him and criticize other people in terms of Donald Trump. So this is something that McCullough has been doing, and it's just, it's just laughable to see. He's been trying desperately to paint McCulloch as this radical Trump supporting, or rather to, to paint Youngkin as, you know, as a Donald Trump's right-hand man or something. Meanwhile, Youngkin is going around talking about issues that, that matter to people in Virginia, talking about education, talking about these cultural issues. It's got nothing to do with Donald Trump. So there, there are lessons that Republicans can take from Trump's approach to things. You know, there are good lessons and bad lessons as Trump has positive and negative points. But it's the wrong lesson if they think that, okay, the way to win is to, ma- is to allow the Democrats to make this all about Trump. Glenn Youngkin hasn't allowed that, and uh, that's what has flipped everything on its head in, uh, in Virginia. Okay, finally, here we'll go back to an airplane. This is, this is a story from an airplane that I think is uh, actually interesting. From the New York Post, it says, new released, new, newly released footage of a glowing orb over Mexico has been called very consistent with decades of previous reports of unidentified aerial phenomena, UAF, which is what they call UFOs now. This was uh, a video obtained by the Daily Mail. It shows a pulsating teardrop-shaped object zip around a pair of uh, pilots who spotted the UFO on March 19th, 2020. Can we, uh, let's take a look at this video. We got video here t- to play. Shooting star, but then it stopped. You can hear the pilots talking about it. Yeah, let me zoom in, man. It's like an orb, man. Look at that shit. It's pulsating. Oh, this is awesome. And he's not on TCAS, man. These, these are the pilots in the plane right now. Okay. Well, I can tell Rita now. There's the orb. You see it? I mean, it's, it's a glow. They're, you know, they're 30,000 feet in the air or whatever, and they see this orb floating around. Platillos, platillos. He's okay. a pulsating orb. Look at that, dude. Look at that. You know, I'm not disturbed at all by the, the, by the Let's Go Brandon thing from a pilot. I am a little disturbed by how these pilots are talking to each other. Just only because... Turn on the tail light. Oh, it is on. I don't know. They, they sound just like normal dudes talking to each other. Look at that shit, man. And these are pilots. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I can't blame them for being normal dudes, but I kind of want, I, you know, I, I want my pilot to look and sound like, you know, a mustachioed 55-year-old man from the, from the 1940s. That, that's, that's, what I, that's what I want from my pilot. And when I hear them talking to each other, just like normal guys, it, it disturbs me a little bit. I'm not disturbed by the UFO at all. Um, that, that, on the other hand, doesn't disturb me. I have, uh, as you know, I'm very welcoming of our new alien overlords, and I just wish that they would stop wasting time and get here already. Uh, all right, let's read the comments. Who's rocking polka dot and flannel shirts without shame? Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Delaney Stevens says, almost 100% correct on your history points. The Polynesians did cross a whole ocean to set up a permanent settlement. It's called Hawaii. Also, the Polynesians were like one of the most violent and subjugation-centric empires in the history of the world. That professor is an effing clown. Well, yeah, I guess you could get into splitting hairs and semantics about what counts as crossing a whole ocean. But uh, yeah, there, there were, I think I mentioned the Polynesians when we, when we talked about this last week. There were seafaring civilizations, um, non-Western, non-white uh, seafaring civilizations, of course, before the Europeans started settling the new, the new world. Um, but 
what what the Europeans did in crossing this unknown ocean to this whole other to them unknown part of the world and setting up a whole new civilization. I mean, spreading their civilization on such a wide scale uh, that was unique in in human history. Other cultures and civilizations, even the ones that had the ability to you know get in a ship and sail somewhere, which many did, still were not doing that. And not because, again, not because they had ethical qualms with it, but just because it wasn't, they didn't have the ability to, or it wasn't in their interest, or they figured, hey, if we want to expand our empire, and every empire in history has wanted to expand, that's part of what being an empire is. And they said, if we want to expand our empire, we can do it on land. We don't need to get in a, in a boat and do it. Uh, Andrew says, um, uh, quoting says, denies the child exposure to other ideas and values that an independent young person might wish to embrace or at least entertain. Says, Matt, I agree with the rest you said in response to all this, but right here is where the conversation really stops. I have five children. Not one of them buys their own food, house, utilities, car, phone, etc. Sure, I as a parent have zero right to deny any independent young person exposure to anything they might wish to embrace or entertain. But regarding my own children, they are not independent. End of story. They are my dependents. They depend upon me, unless one also wants to accuse me of tax fraud. Right. And that's, that's, the, that's one of the problems with this uh, claim we hear from advocates of the public school system, the advocates who want to keep parents out of it, who say, well, we, we, want, we want children to think, into, we want them to be independent and think independently and be free thinkers. Except that children do not think independently. Nobody really does, especially not kids. And they don't live independently. They, they are in no way, shape, or form independent in any sense of the word. They are going to be guided and shaped and coached along. And their worldview is inevitably going to be something largely given to them. And as they get older, you know, they might adjust, they might abandon that worldview entirely. They might adjust it. They might, you know, they're going to make their own unique tweaks to it as they develop their own perspective of the world. But kids don't come into the world having a perspective, a fully formed perspective of the world that is given to them. The question is, is, is it going to primarily be given to them by their parents or by the government? That's the question. Um, Elizabeth says, Matt, I can attest. I learn more from you than from any of my professors at college. Unfortunately, a Matt Walsh degree doesn't pay the bills or find you a husband, or I would absolutely quit college in favor of your show. Yeah, I'm not going to claim that my show will accomplish that for you. But then again, a university degree doesn't do that either in many cases, unfortunately. Um, Steve A. says, Matt, I've been noticing more and more bumper stickers praising their pets, like, I heart my grand dog is a particularly strange one, especially if this person has grandchildren. Grand dog? I, I didn't know that was a thing. And now I do, so thank you for that. I have one more reason to despair of this world and to beg for those aliens to finally show up. Um, NJL says, Matt, what are all of your kids going as for Halloween? You don't strike me as the kind of dad who coordinates a family costume theme. Uh, you're correct. As always, I you know go, I go as a guy named Matt. That's my costume. My, my oldest daughter went as a witch. My youngest daughter was a, a baby shark. My oldest son was uh, Huckleberry Finn because he's a big fan of the book, which I mentioned before. And we read books in our family. We don't play video games. We don't watch a lot of TV. So... Uh, these are the kinds of things my kids are interested in. Then my, my youngest son went as a werewolf. Originally, he wanted to be a gingerbread man and changed it to the last minute. That's one of the things about Halloween. One of the constants is that your kid will always change their mind about their costume at the last minute. They're going to change their mind. Half of the costume is going to be lost. So you know that's going to happen. And whatever costume they ultimately wear, they're going to shed about half of it 12 minutes into trick-or-treating because it's hot and itchy and they don't want to wear it anymore. Because, you know, leading up to Halloween, all the emphasis is on the costumes. It's a big deal. You know, we got to find the costume. What am I going to be for Halloween? And as a kid, this, this is, a, this, this is a, a very important decision. Brings them a lot of anxiety. They spend months thinking about it and talking about what costume they're going to be. But then when the big night comes, all of that frivolity is thrown to the side and it's only about the candy. So all they care about is just running up to as many houses as they can with 
and, and getting the candy. And so by the end of it, like at the last house, your kids aren't hardly wearing any costume at all. Uh, it's only the candy. It's just a, it's a matter of pure efficiency, um, and which I appreciate because, you know, the more candy they collect, the more that uh, I get to steal ultimately. And I need them to collect a lot because I know that a big percentage of the candy that they, that they bring in, the input, is going to be crappy stuff like Milk Duds and Smarties. Way too much of that. And so I need, I need a, a, a large volume so that there's more of the diamonds in the rough, you know, the Snickers, the Twix, all that Swedish fish and so on. Uh, and, from, and I explained this to my kids, by the way. I told them, you know, it, it probably won't happen, but you do hear about cases of, of people poisoning candy. And from what I've read, you know, things like Snickers bars and Milky Ways and Twixes and that sort of thing, especially the big candy bars, any of the good big candy bars, um, those are more likely to be poisoned from what I've read. So it's best for me. I'll just take those. I'll, you know, I'll consume them. I'll take the hit. And, uh, you know, it's just one more sacrifice I have to make as a father. If you haven't heard about this app yet, let me do you a favor and tell you about it. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up with this app. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. There's just, with, and with gas prices skyrocketing, you need to save all the money you possibly can. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50% gallon a gallon cash back on your first tank and then 25 cents a gallon thereafter. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back and there's no catch, okay? I know you hear something about it like this and you're thinking, okay, what's the catch? What's the... You know, where, where's the fine print where all of this falls apart? Uh, it isn't there. It's as simple as that. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Get Upside app and use promo code Walsh to save up to 50% per gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh Get Upside app. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. For the daily cancellation today, I must sadly cancel many of you in the audience for your involvement in a totally disgraceful and disappointing display over the weekend. It all began when rumors started circulating online that President Biden tragically pooped his pants while visiting with the Pope in Rome. Amy Tarkanian, a political strategist and pundit, was one of the first to make this odorous allegation, tweeting, quote, the word around Rome is that Biden's meeting with the Pope was unusually long because Biden had a bit of a bathroom accident at the Vatican and it had to be addressed prior to him leaving. I know we joke often about this, but this is the actual rumor going around Rome now. Next thing you know, hashtags like hashtag poopgate and hashtag poopy pants Biden and the more direct hashtag Biden his pants were trending nationwide on Twitter. Other sources were, you know, chiming in, all claiming that, yes, Joe Biden did indeed drop a steamy load in his pants right in front of Pope Francis. And then millions of other people with no special knowledge about the situation, people with no specific insights into Joe Biden's defecation habits at all, frankly, still were posting about the subject, spreading this insidious rumor. And to once again clarify, by insidious rumor, I am referring to the claim that Joe Biden pooped himself at the Vatican. That's the rumor. And personally, I'm outraged and disgusted by all this. It is the absolute height of irresponsibility to spread rumors of this sort. There is no legitimate reason to call attention to the issue of Joe Biden shitting himself. No reason. Someone has to be the mature one in this situation. And as usual, that job has fallen to me, which is why I am not talking about the subject of Joe Biden soiling himself. I would never talk about something so crass and objectionable and unsubstantiated We don't even know if Joe Biden really did poop his pants. There are some people saying he pooped his pants. Others saying that he didn't poop his pants. Still, there are others saying that we have no idea what Joe Biden did or didn't do in his pants. In the face of this uncertainty, the dignified and honest thing is to say nothing at all. I am therefore begging all of you to not talk about this. And if you didn't know about it until you just heard about it right now, don't talk about it. It's not the kind of thing we should be discussing, which is why I have personally chosen to do my part by not calling attention to it at all. It's better if the public never even hears about this rumor, the rumor that Joe Biden, president of the United States, pooped himself. So please, once again, just don't talk about it. In fact, shortly before we went on air, um, I noticed another hashtag associated with the poopy pants predicament. A large number of social media users have apparently caused the hashtag shark week to trend. 
This is not only potential misinformation, but it also makes light of the trauma suffered by actual shark attack victims and actual shark attack victims. That's why I would never extend this pun by saying that the Vatican became something of a shark tank when Biden arrived. That's a joke I'm not going to make. There are many other presidential poop jokes that I will not make and would be very angry to hear anyone make. For example, I'm not going to say that through his eight years as vice president, Biden apparently got accustomed to being the number two guy in the White House. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say that Biden flew back from Rome in Air Force Two. I'm not going to say that involuntary defecation must be a hereditary problem for Biden since it runs in his genes. These would be vulgar and unfunny jokes. And I'm not going to make them or any other because there's nothing funny about a turd, especially a turd in the pants of the president, allegedly. Now, all we know for sure, the only thing we should be saying about Biden's visit with the Pope is that he went there in his official capacity as a president of the United States and he did his duty. That's it. Outside of that, our responsibility is to comport ourselves with maturity and dignity and respect the office of the presidency. And we should still respect the office, even if that man in that office happens to have evacuated his bowels right into his underwear. You know, I don't care if Biden did have a literal holy shit moment in front of the Pope. That doesn't change anything except his diaper. As for the rest of us, we have to be adults about this. And the fact is that many of you have failed in that regard. You have used Biden's poo-filled pants as a forum for jokes and mockery rather than gazing upon them in solemn silence, as is your duty and his, apparently, allegedly. And for that, all of you today are canceled. Shame on you. Shame on you. And that'll do it for us today. We'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Ibram Kendi accidentally disproves systemic racism. Democrats send fake white supremacists to a Republican rally in Virginia. And the media dub Let's Go Brandon a Nazi chant. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.